This is Jan Cox, talk number 2590, recorded October 11th, 2000. One man found a ladder. He decided that a secret lay at its top, and there too he would climb. The task proved to be easier decided upon than done upon. And in fact, he found that the only way to move up another wrong was to make up another wrong. Thus, when he did finally reach the top of the ladder, the secret he discovered was that the ladder was entirely imaginary. Some surprise, huh? Perhaps the most useful phrase for a man to remember who is trying to cut through all of the clutter is, quote, It ill behooves a man, end quote. Since, as applies to a man as I just described, almost anything mental you can think of ill behooves him. Now, I pointed out before I started reading these that the reason I wrote them down was because they made sense when they were first put in printed form. And now you're making me look. <laughs> you're making me feel ill behooved. How would that tie to a satyr? Looking back, a sick satyr, he's ill behooved. Back to the news. Behoof and mouth it now. Look, the news. Looking back from his present vantage point, one man says. All of my memories of the history of my life up till now are nothing more than sound effects for a so-called life. All right, I like that one enough for everybody. So I don't want you to feel sad for me. A certain idea has long circulated in metaphysical circles which says that you can make other people do your will. If you will, but forget both them and yourself. The unrecognized trick therein is in the fact that if your thought-based awareness of you and them was forgotten, you would then not care what they did. Hence, they would never not be doing what you will them to do. One man says, Nobody's going to badmouth self-absorption. Not while I'm here, they're not. <laughs> there is not a hair's breadth of difference between you and the world outside you, or else no one would ever assume non-essential obligations. Did you not hear first from sources outside yourself, for instance, of the dangers of chemical Z in your diet, your thoughts would never have made you take on the obligation of deleting chemical Z from your diet. Non-thinking instinct fuels thought in man. But then thought can turn around and affect instinct. But to do so, thought must first be affected by instinct's environment. An environment that fuels a man's instinct, which fuels a man's thoughts. And there you are, right back where we started. There is not a hair's breadth of difference between you and the world outside you, 
And to not realize this is to be unenlightened and grossly under-informed. And finally, our joke for the day. Perhaps the grandest of all the frauds thought has ever pulled on us is its story that if we but studied it adequately, we would have the answer to everything. <laughs> I did say that was the joke for the day, didn't I? As a matter of fact, I do find that humorous. I was going to save it for next St. Clonum's, but sometimes I just, I'm like your mother or father used to be at Christmas, which is strange for since most of us are Islamic. So, maybe that's why she was testy. I was going to save it. Uh, you understand, for the last couple of years, and I have been quite pleased with it. Uh, if there was a topic, if I, for some reason, decided to put all of my general ideas and what I've said and thought was useful in this idea of clearing out one's head, and I were to put it in a book and had to come up with a name or list a topic, it would be the need or that the goal awakening is the mind understanding itself. Our thoughts comprehending themselves. I like even better. I can make myself wake up and jump out of bed in such a good mood. Well, maybe not that. I can force myself awake so that I can't go back to sleep. Being so excited, being so flabbergasted, bewildered, and almost laughing aloud to myself, which is embarrassing, over the fact that from one quite valid view, the idea of thought comprehending itself is the biggest fraud that I personally have ever been witness to. And of course, I've thought it up. That's what the story about the ladder was. That there was a man who found the ladder and decided that the top of the ladder was a secret. And that he would therefore climb the ladder. But he found that wherever he was on the ladder, to move up or wrong, he had to invent one. By the way, this is not an allegorical story. He had to invent a new wrong every time he wanted to move up or wrong. So, not surprising at all, the secret he discovered when he did get to the top of the ladder was that the ladder was imaginary. But my pseudo-throwaway line at the end when I said, some surprise, huh, is yeah, it is a surprise. Except for the fact when you, if you're there and you realize, well, it shouldn't be a surprise because the only thing that brought me here was my imagination. I had to invent my way here. I had to make up my way here. I guess you people can stand it every now and then. I'll, periodically, I will mention, you know, how I make everything up. You would surely understand, as apparently grating as I can be on would-be mystics anyway, you can imagine people's tolerance for that. 
But can you imagine someone's tolerance that uh, orders something, one of my books, and if I sent them along later and said, uh, I have decided to send out follow-up letters to people who buy my book because I consider they must be quite serious and probably already have the innate potential for very rapid and deep awakening. And so I did want to point out to you that everything in that book I simply made up. If in some way there at the bottom of the letter I had printed like the company logo, like satisfaction guaranteed forever, a return book for your money back, I bet you I'd get all my books back. If I said, I made up all that. Everything of describing the inner life of man and what being awake is and how you go about it, I made it up, every damn bit of it, which is why I charge money for it. Because I didn't steal it. I made it up. This is not stuff I'm repeating from some obscure Zen writer or some Sufi. I made this up from top to bottom. They would not see that as any sort of... (laughs) They would find it ill-behooving. They would find themselves ill-behooved having spent money on it. You made it up. Of course, there is the cutoff line. Because then what I'm going to go is, what do you mean? Did you make it up? As opposed to what? And that's where you lose everybody. But that's where you lose yourself. It's one thing to me to say, to encourage people, which I've been doing specifically, and then I'd do it one night allegorically, and then I would try and make it plainer over the last several weeks about look over thought's shoulder, that there is nothing back there. There is nothing supporting thought. There is nothing behind it other than, as always, what I still consider to be my model of conscious thought's real purpose. And that is, too simply, it's a survival technique. Just instead of us having the retractable or the long, deadly claws of a tiger and the strength or a trunk of an elephant, we have conscious thought that we can learn from the past about things non-instinctive and that we can then take on obligations. We can have memories that are non-instinctive, they're non-automatic for our own benefit or, in the case of humans, for our own pleasure, not even necessarily our benefit, that the things that we remember to do just simply because we found it individually pleasurable. But anyway, back to the fact that thought is not dealing with something physical. Then anything that it knows about anything else, it made up. And that's when it is safe to say that there's nothing behind thought such as that. It's not a theory to say, well, there's nothing behind the idea of uh, God or life after death or anything you can't touch. It's one thing just to say there's nothing behind it, and you agree. But that's not the half of it. That was a figure of speech. It's not even the not half of it. It's in a total different direction when I say that from one view, it is perhaps the biggest fraud that thought has ever played on anyone. And I've been a party to it. You have to be a party to it. You've got to believe you're climbing a ladder. What if my description is accurate? Maybe you see it in your own way. But that there is nothing behind thought and that I could say that that is the punchline, at least on one level, to waking up. 
That doesn't really say anything, though, because there is something behind thought. What's always been behind thought? Thought does not run our life. Thought does not direct our life. Thought is a bookkeeper. Thought is a memory bank. Thought is a commentator. Thought can review past behavior and attempt to learn therefrom, particularly in things that instinctively we would have never learned. So certainly there's something behind thought. What's always been behind thought? And we don't know. I can call it instinct. It is certainly what's going on in our full nervous system below the level that produces conscious thought. That's what's behind it. From one view, and I say it's a fraud, that thought even makes us believe, or makes me say that that is from one at one level, from one view, that that is the whole punchline to waking up, to being enlightened, is to realize that when it comes to non-essential matters, non-survival matters, that the rest of thought, what thought does, is bullshit. It may be pleasurable, it may be entertaining, and it doesn't do you any harm, but it means nothing. And to wake up is to finally understand that. From one view, that's a fraud. From one view, that's a waste of time. Then why even bother to study thought? What's there to study? If I described it properly, which I did for the purpose I had in mind, and I may still do it again, I'm sure I will, that that is the whole purpose, that thought is struggling to understand itself, or the cells in the brain responsible for producing conscious thought, they're struggling to understand themselves. From one view, that is a fraud. From one view, that that's just a waste of time. It's silly. It's ridiculous. There's nothing to it. There's nothing for them to understand about themselves. If they're going to understand something, they should indeed be looking behind themselves. The thought should not be trying to per perceive its own nature. It should try and be perceived what is producing its nature. And we all know what it is. It's not thought. But to say, well, thought is... There's nothing to thought, there's nothing behind it. It's not true, and even if it were true, even if you see it, what have you seen? So that's what makes me laugh and wake up in the morning sometimes. One more time, at least you're too confused. I know of no way, absolutely, I know of no way to go directly to that. And uh, I certainly don't know any way to talk about it for any length of time. But we got 40 minutes left on tonight's tape. Let me change the subject. Uh, and of course, as you suspected, it's not really changing the subject, but I'll change the format. I'll change the context. Have you ever considered... That in spite of me pointing out, which I still consider to be a quite valid and accurate model, in fact, most people would agree, just ordinary people, that behind thought, behind our consciousness, behind everything, is the instincts of our own genetic makeup, that of Homo sapien, and then whatever variation is appropriate in your case. So we have instinct is fueling thought. 
thought means nothing. Your thought, one more time, exempting anything of any survival, specific, physical significance. Everything else that thought does is irrelevant. It's immaterial. It's not worth looking at. It's not worth sweating over. It's not worth talking about. It's not worth studying. It's not worth analyzing. It's just noise. It's kids that have adult responsibilities at times, thoughts. But the rest of the time, all they're doing is playing. It could be serious play. could be rehearsing. But it's still play. At the moment, it has no pertinence. It has no instant significance. I mean, it's obvious. What else is there to say? But of all the things that you, or that I've talked about in general and tried to point out, and maybe that you've observed yourself about thought, there is something very interesting about thought that I've never spoken of specifically. Maybe you've already thought about it. Is even though you can look at thought being the invention of instinct, that instinct is the ventriloquist behind thought, it is the puppeteer behind thought, it is in fact the puppeteer who whittled, not just running his voice, but instinct is totally responsible for thought. And yet, thought can do something very strange. Thought can turn back around and manipulate instinct. Uh, in general, I guess ordinary people have some vague knowledge of it, that that is in large part what being civilized is is that thought agreed upon ideas that some group of people uh, embrace collectively, like we'll all agree to live by the Ten Commandments. Uh, the Ten Commandments conflict with instinct, but it cuts down on friction. It makes living in close proximity in groups of people more feasible. But there are very specific ways, forget the collective, that individually thought can do that, which uh, I'm not inclined to spend 10 or 15 minutes trying to make everybody buy my setup. But for years, my setup was, to me, that what I'm about to say was not possible. Well, I didn't consider it. It is simply, without any doubt, is correct, that instinct fuels thought. Thought is totally beholden to instinct. That is, operations, if we're going to draw a line through the skull and say that above that line is conscious thought, then it's everything below that line produces conscious thought. That if you wake up in the morning and you just had a bad dream about you were killing somebody and you woke up and you just feel like shit, there is a physical reason for it. The obvious joke being, you know, to me, anchovies last night on the pizza. But you did not wake up having horrible thoughts and you wake up and think, well, here I am again. So sleeping me, all the time I'm thinking about killing people or just my general pissy attitude. And I just wake up and the radio woke me up. I had it set and it woke up and there, the news was on. And I woke up, my first conscious thing was me whining back to some news thing. That the president today said so and so. And my thoughts were going, nah, 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 nah. And you think, Jesus. You know, if I could ever come to grips with my thoughts, if I could ever, you know, if I really understood their nature and saw through them, I'd stop all this. It's not your thoughts doing that. 
Your thoughts don't have a life. It was something below the level of thought that's doing it. That's why I was saying, even though I told you I'd change the subject, you knew I lied, that studying a thought, having any concern, even look at it, is almost a blatant fraud. That is, to believe that it amounts to anything, that you're doing anything. At any rate, from one quite real head-on view, it would seem, would it not, that thought is nothing but a hand puppet. It's nothing but smoke. It's nothing but noise. It's nothing but a reflection of physical activity, instinctive activity, appropriate to your particular DNA your particular wiring. If your thoughts are at any given moment of a real shitty, aggressive, hostile, and of course, mystics would say sleeping nature, there is a physical reason for it. To look anywhere else, to think it is something that somebody said to you yesterday, or it's because that the president's an idiot, is why you're whining like that. You're an idiot. It's anchovies. Might as well leave it at that. Even if you don't eat anchovies, you know what I mean. If you are cursing the stupidity of the president or the stupidity of religion X waging war on religion Y or anything, that in your mind, your, your attitude toward whatever thoughts you're having is, I've got to do something about that. There is a manifestation. That is me. That is me asleep. Those thoughts right there, what I was doing, applying about the president, talking back about the news about some group of people fighting some other group over a religious idea. God, they're not idiots. My thoughts are idiots. No, you're an idiot for thinking it's your thoughts are idiots. It's anchovies are idiots. It's your GI tract. It's your stomach. It's an idiot. Except for this. Thought can turn right around that you can read, for instance, since I use that, that anchovies are a prime source of saturated fat. And that you read that some, some particular form of saturated fat, or chemical Z as I called it, that you read is deadly. And for whatever reason you read that, and it's the time it strikes you that that's true, I am going to stop eating food that has high levels of chemical X or saturated fat. That is not instinctive. Well, let's just say that you decide to cut down fat. It says somebody at your age and your particular type that uh, too much fat will cut, this is deadly. And that you just love things that have that kind of fat in it. That you, would, you could live off of ice cream or chocolate or whatever it would be. And you decide, you take on the obligation... I'm not going to eat that anymore. And that everything instinctively in you loves it. How does that happen? How can that be? If thought does not have anything to it to start with, if there's nothing behind thought, if thought is a shadow of instinct, if thought is a noise that instinct makes, a side effect, a creaking, if it's not engaged in some specific task, if that be true, then how in the hell can a non-existent thing, how can the dummy turn around, sing on the knee of a ventriloquist, and suddenly turn the ventriloquist and say, go get me a glass of water. <laughs> or turn around the ventriloquist and say, shut up. I'm tired of talking. And the ventriloquist shut up. 
It can't be, can it? And yet it does be. It happens all the time. All moral obligations in the world, what's considered by many people still today and throughout history, the man of honor, a man will agree. And if that's too strong for you, how about getting up and going to work? How about agreeing to do something for someone that has no benefit to you? But you simply agree that I gave my word and I'll do it. I told so-and-so that I would meet them Saturday morning at 7 o'clock and help them do such and such. And you, you'll do it. Why? How can you make your instinct go up and do something that instinct has no interest in? Does somebody follow it? How did you get it there? How did thought come up with anything in conflict to instinct? If all thought is, is instinct. A man's stomach by itself, his total digestive system, would have never come up with the idea of, let's cut out ice cream. Let's cut out chocolate. You understand? Whatever example you like. Something that you have an instinctive taste for. Fat. According to all the latest research I've ever seen, humans in general all across the world supposedly have an instinctive taste for fat that surpasses anything. So your, your, your instinct is to eat fat. And now, you will go to great efforts not to eat fat. You'll remember not to eat fat. You'll pass on fat when it's handed to you. You'll go to, you'll drive out of your way to certain stores that have non-fat foods. How in the hell is that possible? It can't be. If thought is nothing but a puppet of instinct, how has, in, how has thought now, forget for the moment that it can make instinct, do its will? I danced with that for many, many, many years until I realized, oh, that's child's play. How did it come up with it? Forget being able to exert its will on instinct. How did it come up with something that was in conflict? With what instinct is doing. If it's if all of its script is written by instinct, which it is. And I say that instinct, a man's instinct, the man we're talking about, you, your instinct never wrote the script for your thoughts that said I can't do it myself or whatever it was. I can't do it myself. I need to cut down on fat. Will you make me stop? You realize, you know that didn't happen. How did it happen? You want the fast answer? There is no out there. But here's the way that would appear to be until you can clear your head. This is the way it would appear to be if I were to recount it, which I'm about to. For thought to come up with anything to conflict, to adopt, to take on an obligation that conflicts with the instinct of that person, then the source 
of the change, the information that thought picks up, the obligation must come from without the person. That is, a person to adopt the obligation that for my own good, blah, 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 I will cut out certain saturated fats. I will no longer eat ice cream. You had to have picked up that information. That information had to enter into your head from outside yourself. It did not come from your instinct. I am not going to run the risk of making everyone so dizzy you fall out by pursuing that one. That's pretty simple. It's just hard. To, it takes a long time to describe. <clears throat> it had to come from outside of you. What I'm going to leave with you is then you ask yourself, all right, in other words, there had to be at least a person instead of a research team somewhere. Let's say it was one <clears throat> dietitian, one biologist, one uh, medical researcher. He, on his own, determined through years and years of research, blah, 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 he determined that chemical Z or a certain kind of saturated fat is uh, detrimental to your health. So somebody outside of you came up with this information. They wrote it down, or you heard them speak on the matter. Your thoughts, and then your thoughts made your instinct take on the obligation, which it never would have. It had to have the information. It had to have the obligation presented to it from a source outside of your own instinct, outside of themselves. What I was going to leave with you is, then how did that happen with this other guy? This, like I said, it's pretty simple. It's just hard to see. It moves real fast. You're back to trying to hold your thumb down on that little bit of water inside of a balloon. Trying to nail a shadow to the wall. Or you're trying to nail a shadow of jello to the wall. At any rate, you have to take on the obligation. The obligation has to apparently have its source, or it does have to have its source outside of you. Once you realize that, if you can see it, then you realize there is nothing outside of you. If you realize that, then you realize I didn't change the subject. When I say, for thought, getting people involved with it. Like if you study me, you can change your level of consciousness. You can awaken to a complete other state of mental awareness, but you must study me. But notice, I, that is not the common description. It's always you must observe yourself, you must be mindful. Uh, it's very seldom presented in that manner. I could suggest to you this way that as any good con man thought knows better or knows that the, that it's better to speak in euphemisms when you're dealing with turkeys, when you're about to pluck a hen, when you're about to rob a rube. And so it's, you should be eternally mindful, you should observe yourself, you should continually remember the blessed name of Buddha. Anything, almost, other than thoughts seen directly. If you can get a beat on me, on us, if you know what thought is, then you know everything. But the thing is, everybody already knows everything. Everybody already knows, when I say there's nothing behind thought, 
Everybody knows that. Except thought. Our thought knows that. Everybody knows it but us. Well, we know that. Let's see, where was I? You didn't get confused, did you? Well, let's see, it's been four or five months. Not a couple of months since I did this. This has nothing to do with anything worthwhile, of course, but I just tried to recommend. There's nothing I personally find more fun. Just more fun. It costs no money. You don't have a hangover. Nothing bad can come from it. It's just wherever you are, whatever you're doing, is try and get a feel. What's making me do what I'm doing right this second? And, of course, you have got to, even if you don't understand it, you have got to be to the point that as soon as you do that, you just turn your back on whatever you're thinking. If you don't, even if you don't know what I'm talking about, if you don't do that, you've been suckered. You have been sucked in again. You have to ignore whatever you're thinking. And what your thoughts at that moment may certainly be more or less on what you seem to be doing. Which is also open to great, a great amount of fraud. Because you can be driving your car, and I could suddenly go, all right, who's driving this car? And you go, well, me. And I go, no, no, so to speak, in a more metaphysical sense. Who is driving this car? If you notice, it's not your thoughts. People normally think, well, my thoughts are me, my thoughts, without them analyzing, my thoughts are me, and my thoughts direct my life. They make my decisions. They decide whether I shall eat saturated fats. They decide I should cut down on drinking. They decide which which is the most uh, efficient highway to take where I'm going. And I go, but right, when I ask you, well, your thoughts, your thoughts weren't on driving, what you were doing. And here's where the fraud comes in, because as sincere as you can be, you go, yeah, they were. I don't know whether any of you know that trick yet about thoughts. Thoughts can be doing, your thoughts could have been thinking about hog races. And if I could suddenly jump into your head some way or into your moving car and I go, all right, right now, right then, what was your thoughts thinking? They were not thinking about driving. And you think back, being as sincere as you can, and you reflect on the question, like, were they? And the answer is yes. But does anybody know the trick? Well, I can't describe the trick. There's nothing to describe. The closest I can say, you got to see it for yourself, and it is funny. You know, so all you can do is laugh. It's like finding out that <laughs> you're chained in a prison cell the size approximately, oh, let's say, about your external measurements, and that they're going to shoot you tomorrow, and the firing squad is inside the room with you. There is no door. It's that kind of thing. That's when it's funny. You know, it's, oh. The funny part is, not only is there no way out, but see, here's the funny part, is there's no way out. Back to what I was going to say. This will wake you up. If you ask thought, if you accuse thought, I drug me into it to try to highlight what I'm pointing to. At any moment, whatever you're doing, let's say you're driving your car, and we've been talking about what we are tonight, and you're on the way home. And suddenly, in some miraculous way, I appear next to you in the seat and I go, all right, here's what I'm talking about. Right then, your thoughts were not on driving the car. 
and you stop just for a second to reflect on were they or weren't they? They were. Because as soon I said it twice. I'm not going to say more. If you, tr- I was going to say, isn't that weird if it's true, which is true, or I wouldn't say it. I don't want to describe. I don't want to say anything. Well, I'll say this much. Even if they weren't, you understood, that's what I meant by the hog races, that your thoughts were not on driving the car. Your thoughts, as they normally are, were somewhere else, on some other subject than driving the car. And yet, if I jumped in, so you can do it to yourself. I was just trying to make it easier, maybe get started. But if I suddenly leaped in and went, your thoughts weren't on driving the car just now. Come on, I'm, let me, I'm trying to show you what I was talking about. And you think for a second, like, were they? And the answer is yes. Mm, gee, I'm sorry, but they were. But you understand they weren't until you reflect on it. I've thought at times, I don't agree in this either, because uh, I know I'll never get any royalties and I'm not even bother <laughs> Sue, but I, I get a strong impression that that's where, some way that the whole theory, the whole general view of quantum mechanics came from. It's from my understanding of that. That no matter what thought it's doing, if you ask it or accuse it that it's not doing what it's going to say it's doing, as soon as it reflects on the matter, it goes, well, yeah, I was. And no matter whether it was or wasn't, you understand it has become irrelevant. As irrelevant as, I, again, I hate to say it, but as Heisenberg is to me. <laughs> it doesn't matter whether they were on the subject or not. If you accuse them, thoughts, you were not doing so-and-so. And they go, well, all right. And they check. Yes, I was. But you understand, once it does that, or once you understand it does that they do do that, then it's irrelevant whether they were on the subject or not, because you can't go by it. Now, that's what I call substantial, dependable knowledge. See? Well, it's just the opposite. That other people believe is to know that no matter what you ask, the answer is invalid. <laughs> now, that is dependable. Everyone else, their knowledge well, at the ordinary level, all of our knowledge, what your thoughts know is always shaky. You know that. That's why people are so defensive of what they <clears throat> know. But see, if you know that you don't know anything, you're safe. Can't be offended. Whatever your thoughts say, doesn't matter. I mean, you got to really be maybe having a small, one of those many strokes. To even for a, anything longer than a split second, now to even have any, any attraction, any even momentary belief that what, the thought that just passed through my head, now wait a minute, perhaps I should not so easily dismiss everything. You're having a stroke. <laughs> well, that is, but if one time you've known better, then I, I would say you, you have a small aneurysm. You have a bubble in your blood that just momentarily disoriented you. That, wait a minute, that could be important. My criticism, my reaction to what I just heard or read, that could be of some significance. Oh, no, I just, <laughs> I'm just about to black out. If there is nothing but instinct, Pure physical, not even 
worthy of any analyzation. It's been analyzed to death. <coughs> Insofar as what makes the human machine work, if we take out consciousness, uh, I assume that everybody knows. I just take their word for it. It's down to the point now we know just in our, this year, they have finished the mapping of the genome. And they're already, God knows, it's only what life will let make the news. What they're doing now in laboratories that we don't know about. Which you should hope they're doing a hell of a lot. But at any rate, it's down to the point that insofar as the workings of the human organism, there are things that they can't stop and certain diseases and ills that fall people. Uh, but almost every day, they're driving back the ill because they're getting down to the point now, down to, obviously, the cellular level is becoming cellular medicine. Insofar as what makes us work, the total mechanics, the relationship of all these parts and how it works, uh, we're almost an open book. We're almost a completely known entity, physically speaking. And it seems that they have been driven like rats to the edge of an invisible and imaginary raft by an imaginary ingress. Or Delacroix. At any rate. See, all, it turns out, I didn't know this, but all French painters, it turns out, before the Impressionist, it turns out were illusionary. <laughs> uh, I, well, I just read that recently that Monet's granddaughter assured us of that. At a recent auction of some of his works. In medicine, they seem to have been driven, if for no other reason that's not important, but to the point of even admitting that the last frontier, our last big hurdle now, is consciousness itself. As I point out, uh, they know more about the brain that's down to almost to the cellular level, about everything except conscious thought. Hearing, sight, equally, just almost anything you can name, they now have such a working knowledge of, they perhaps physically can't undo uh, every ill or accident that befalls the brain, but they have a general mapping knowledge of what went wrong, how it should work, except no one has any notion. No one has any more of a solid model or theory as to how conscious thought is produced from the brain than they had 2,000 years ago, 5,000 years ago. There is one simple way to look at it, and that is that you already know what it is. Except, it's the idea that the puppet itself, thought itself, cannot look at itself and tell you what it is. But it's already told you what it is on the basis that it says, I can't tell you what I am. But that is not, of course, the way people look at those out there doing the cognitive neural research. Their attitude is, I can't tell you. Or we as a science, we as a field of science, we cannot tell you or I cannot tell you where conscious thought comes from. It just did. You didn't, professor, doctor, but conscious thought just did. What's there to study? What is there to know? Well, see, I was afraid you'd come to this like 
I say that and everything's quiet and all of you look pensive. I wasn't exaggerating. This one thing hits me certain mornings and it did again this morning. That's why I gave up and thought I'd go ahead and tell you about it. It makes me wake up and laugh. I have to actually usually get up and laugh even if I'm determined to go back to sleep. I have to raise up at such a laugh that I'm afraid I might choke or drown. To realize that here I am. Perhaps I could be, for all I know, one of the world's leading. I could be the leading expert on thoughts attempt to understand itself. Or some variation thereof. The kind of stuff I talk about. I could clean it up and dress it up and make it sound a bit more scientific. I could be the world's leading expert on that. And you know what it amounts to? How much is penny candy nowadays, by the way? <laughs> How much is a free sample of nothing? That's what it's worth. Because there's nothing to know. There's nothing back there. Except we know what's back there. There is something back there. And we know exactly what it is. But it's not satisfying. Not the thought. Because what's back there is whatever's making me have these thoughts. And it's not vague. It's everything that's going on in me right now. Causes me to have these particular thoughts. Not what happened in my background. Not the will of God. Not the power of the stars aligning the planets, aligning themselves in some peculiar fashion. It's what's going on in my body right this second. And it may, it's most of the time. It may apparently have or nothing demonstrative of what you can be aware of going on in your body. That is, you can say, well, I don't know why I was having that thought right then because my stomach's not hurting. I don't have any muscle aches. Uh, right now... It's just sort of, hmm, everything's fine. So, But that still doesn't say anything. If you then say, well, that gives no explanation to the thoughts going in my head, you don't get it. It always does. That's all there is. It's taking measurements. It's making measurements. It's reviewing your life. It's taking account of what's going on. But it's doing so in a totally different language, so to speak, than that which it is measuring and taking account of. Is there going to be some sort of metaphorical climax to all this that at least I was going to say that allegorically all you people finally get together, maybe call a lot of them from out of town and you all get together and lynch me out of frustration? If you do, with my final breath, I'm going to stick out my tongue. And then some of you, I'll go, and right then, when it's too late then, some of you are going to get it. That's my prediction. You go, oh! Cut him down quick. But it turns out it's not a Clint Eastwood movie, and I'll be gone. And boy, then you'll be sorry. <laughs> See, it's better to hang yourself. Not in the sense that that plastic surgeon who was a satyr did. No thing to tell you. It is, I keep talking about a relief and to realize there's nothing there. But this is even a greater relief. I don't know what to tell you. But I thought if I brought it out, it might get some of you to looking at it. It's not simply that there's nothing behind thought. It's better than that. You know what's behind thought. Except thought just won't put up with it. No, no, no. Talk to me some more. I'm about to get it. You'll be back here Friday talking about it, won't you? Yeah, okay. Yeah, probably. 
Okay, well, I'm getting close. You keep having to make up another rung. All right, I'm getting close. I got to climb a little bit higher. There is only one rung. Really, there's only one. And I still find, just because of our culture and background, most of us collectively, I still find uh, the Old Testament story of Adam being thrown from the garden. I see it as consciousness beginning to talk. I see it as the nervous system, the brain of man, said its first word. That is what is represented by Adam there, minding his own business, and I don't know where this voice says, Adam. It wasn't God, it wasn't Jehovah. It wasn't a voice in the sky, it was a voice in his brain. That, if I remember the story, though, it took a few days or a few hours, or it took some time before he actually got thrown out of the garden after that. But constructively, he was out of the garden then. Nor as I put it to you, I could put it another way. I could change the story a little bit. I've hinted at this. I don't think I ever actually said it. But if you get it, I could make the story actually more accurate for our purposes. That Adam's in this place of paradise. Everything's fine. One day, he hears a voice that says, Adam. Or, hey, you, but Adam. He wasn't out of the garden. Let me, let me put the story this way. He didn't do anything. He looked around. And for whatever reason, we could speculate. He maybe thought he was hallucinating. Maybe he wasn't sure. But he didn't respond. So I could drag it out and say that it took two or three times. Over what period, we don't know. But that this voice went, Adam. Or, hey. Hey. And finally, we went, what? That is when he was out of the garden. Because now consciousness was complete. That there's a voice in our head, a voice. Because, you know, you're not conscious without words. There is a voice, there is talk in your head, and there is listening in your head. And that's when he was out of the garden. That's when God said, and all that story about him, you know, offended to God. But when God said, all right, now get out. The glory days are over. Paradise is gone. That is, it's no longer silent. Everything is not provided, which it still is, from the line down. But it's from the line up. In conscious thought, it all became chaos. It was very shortly. Again, I'll change the history if I remember it, but I'll condense it. It was right after that. Just very shortly that Adam... Suddenly, there's all these other people. And right after that's when the Tower of Babel happened. Because as soon as he started talking to himself, the Tower of Babel was already raised in your own head. Now, what in the hell is this? All you people, shut up. All this conflicting noise going on. Or, so to speak, all the babbling. How much of anybody realize that those words are very similar? Somebody <laughs> right random house or... Ben Webster. I don't guess he actually did the dictionary for you non-jazz people. You non-lexographers. It's even better than there is nothing to understand. That can't be understood. So that's what always throws everybody. As far as I can tell, even if somebody accidentally tells the truth, so to speak, that says there's nothing to understand. Or the great secret is there is no secret. And people have said that. 
long before me. It doesn't matter whether they understood it or not. But to say the secret is there is no secret. That's almost it. It's almost. It's not quiet. And the not quiet is just enough to keep you from ever getting it. That's why I was trying to say it's better than the fact that there is nothing to understand. It's better than that. It's that you don't have to understand that statement, see? That's what throws everybody. If I say, well, there's nothing to understand, you go, okay, I believe you. If I say, really, that's it. That's the main, that is it. That's the lifelong, that's the result of my lifetime struggle to do this, is there is nothing to understand. They just, there's not. You go, okay. I go, really? You go, okay. And I believe it. I just don't understand it myself. Okay, and I said, all right, here's what I never told you. You don't have to understand that. And that's when it's supposed to wake up to realize you're right. Because once you realize there's nothing to understand, then how can you keep staying there? We're like, well, all right, I, I believe that. I, if you say so, I believe it. But I don't understand it yet. Where does this yet come from? If there's nothing to understand, how can you go, well... I believe you. If you say it, I believe it. But I just, truthfully, I don't understand that personally myself yet. You know, it's like, who am I talking to? I just, we just got through, you just agreed that you believe me. Even if you, did I say there's nothing to understand? That's the whole thing about awakening. The secret, what you realize when you wake up to at least a degree that the extent of my experience. You realize there is nothing to understand, I have sought the great secret, gone after the knowledge of life. <clears throat> I wanted to understand why everything is. All of that, I now got it. At least satisfactory to me. There's nothing left I wonder about. And the answer is, there is nothing to understand. And you say, okay. If you say that, I believe it. But... You know, I don't understand. I believe it, and I'll work on it, but I do not understand that myself. What did I just say? See, that's what wakes me up and makes me laugh. There's nothing to understand. Okay, all right, I'll work on that. No, wait a minute. <laughs> no, you're not listening. If there's nothing to understand, you don't have to understand that. I'll put it to you better. You can understand that. There's nothing to understand about it. But there is thought. You go, oh, wait a minute. No, no, I almost get it. I always thought did have gestures like that. If it had been easier years ago to some way reach in your head and grab its little wrist and say, don't do that. It's like it reinforces like, well, I hear you, but I just don't understand it. What part of the sentence there's nothing to understand, don't you understand? Oh, you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I'm working on it. No, you're not. Well, you think you are, but what you're doing is sticking your eye out. What you're doing is singing lullabies to yourself. Metaphor overkill. <laughs> warning, warning. Right. That concludes this talk. Be sure to visit us at jancox.com, where you can search through 3,000 talks for topics of interest, or just leave us a message.